With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occult, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gorightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorn, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Gullius, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about. It's a big subject. Well, well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you see the article? It was posted on um, the Athens Banner Herald. Uh, just a few hours ago, and the headline is, Albert County Won't Rebuild Bomb Georgia Guidestones Will Donate Monuments Remains? Uh, uh, no. Yeah, it was posted just a few hours ago, uh, and it said, uh, can I just read, like, brief yeah. passages from it? Yeah, okay, it says, yeah. We, can, we can basically, I mean, we can just put this in the show, I and mean, let's just let's just start. Sure, sure, sure. Like, okay. we Just co- a cold start on Conspiracy Normal. Right. Okay. So uh, this says it's by Wayne Ford of the Athens Banner Herald, uh, posted just a few hours ago. Uh, the Elbert County Board of Commissioners voted Monday night to give the broken and crumbled remains of the destroyed Georgia Guidestones monument to the Elberton Granite Association. The large <laughs> granite blocks and fragments were moved to an undisclosed location. Uh, after the Georgia Bureau of Investigation completed its forensic investigation of the site following the July 6th bombing by an as yet unidentified person. We didn't want the scavengers coming up there and possibly getting hurt, so we moved them to a third-party location, Commission Chairman Lee Vaughn said Tuesday. The commission also decided at its Monday meeting to begin the legal process of giving the five acres of land that contained the monument back to the previous owner, according to Vaughn. Uh, and then skipping down, the county is not in the monument business, but it's our opinion the county should never have taken ownership when they did in 1979, Vaughn said, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Then it says the Granite Association also doesn't want to rebuild the monument, also known widely as America's Stonehenge. Quote, but I hope there is a group that will come together and rebuild and create a foundation to own the Guidestones, Vaughn said. Uh, it sounds like they want it rebuilt, but they don't want to have anything to do with it. You know? Uh, The money is there. Plenty of offers of donations, both monetarily and work in kind. I think you could get it built at no cost, he said. Elber Granite Association Executive Vice President Chris Kubis 
said Tuesday the association will accept the remains of the guidestones because members didn't want the original stones crushed. Um, our museum foundation basically agreed to accept them as a donation, and at some point we may decide to do something. We haven't talked that far yet, he said, adding that a plan would have to be developed for their display. Like Vaughn, Kubis has received positive comments about rebuilding the monument. Granite Association members who manufacture stones and own quarries have made it known they would donate materials in time to get the project done, he said. That's probably a conversation that will have to happen with the city, Kubis said. The city is probably the one that most likely would be interested in having them built back because it is a huge tourist draw for Elberton. It got a lot of tourism, and all of a sudden that is dried up. It's gone. Vaughn said he has heard various ideas about a rebuilt monument, including leaving off the text that apparently proved controversial. <laughs> I, I love the idea of like rebuilding it, and it's just like bare. A censored There's, version. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just like, it's just bare granite. Like there's nothing written on it. Um, the man who financed the monument was known only by the pseudonym of Robert C. Christian, a, a local banker who has since died, worked with the mystery man more than 40 years ago to have the Guidestones built. It was not a Christian monument. It was not an anti-Christian monument. It was what it was, and it should not have offended anybody, Vaughn said. The GBI has said previously that there were no witnesses to the bombing, but the video shows the suspect left in a light-colored sedan with a sunroof. Teams with the GBI's bomb unit and ATF are investigating the type of explosive used. Anyone with information on the bomber may call the GBI's Athens office. And then it gives a phone number. Then, now get this, there's only one comment so far, because this was just posted, and the comment is from some guy named Kevin from three hours ago. And the go. comment just says, It's what God wanted. If it's his will to destroy the stones, then so be it. Yeah. Um, GBI is probably looking at Kevin right now. (laughs) Trace that ISP address. Yeah, particularly since he posted it like a second after the article was posted. Yeah, right. I find it really hard to believe that they still haven't caught anybody when they've got the car. I mean, I guess maybe there was no license plate on it. I, I don't know. Yes, that is that is rather puzzling that um, yeah. it's taken so long. I mean, it's a it's conspiracy. Been, it's been two months now, right? Well, it was July sixth. Okay, yeah, damn it, it feels like it's been two months. Yeah, okay. it feels like two months, but more like yeah. just a little over a month. Right. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, I was expecting something like uh, post January sixth, where people are like bragging about it. You know, it was going to uh, you know quickly unravel in that way, but uh, so far, no. Uh, and of course the, the funny thing about the comment is of course, God didn't want it destroyed. Candace Taylor wanted it destroyed. Um, maybe that's the same thing to Kevin. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Goddess Uh, Taylor, Jesus guns, babies. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I love that, uh, Dr. Future pointed out that the, the guns came before the babies. Right. uh, Yes. In in the order. Um, just like it does in the constitution comes before the first amendment <laughs> uh now uh what's fascinating is uh the the same day now now in uh, operation mindfuck uh i talk a lot about uh you know i focus a lot because it would it would have been impossible to monitor every single qtuber in existence so mm-hmm. i mainly focused on uh rick renee and the blessed to teach show and his weird sidekick gene who by the way gene hasn't been on the show in a long time I think something happened. I'd love to know what the 
soap opera thing behind the scenes was why, why gene is never mentioned anymore hopefully it's not a certain uh, pathogen that uh has been out and about yes yes it, it could. well that actually uh, there's another qtuber i mentioned in the book kirsten weldon who was going around telling everybody you know um <clears throat> don't don't take the shot uh covid19 doesn't exist on january 6 2022 she died of covid yeah, there's quite the uh, and, body count piling up on the figures like that in the in this oh yeah. in the evangelical world. Oh yeah, right. And then what's disturbing is that the hospital went out of its way uh, to try to save her life, and instead, all of her followers were sending them death threats because they were accusing the doctors of having killed her. Oh um, By not giving her what was that medicine that they were all about? Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. That's that's exactly right. We had some protesters last year at this time. It was right before I got COVID myself. There were protesters here at the hospital, close to where I work, that they were like had their signs out that said like you know give them ivermectin and how the the hospital didn't care. They was just wanted people to die and yeah. Right. Right. Well, didn't you have uh? At the Strange Realities Conference, you uh, didn't you have problems with uh, people who were annoyed that you were requesting proof of vaccination? Yeah, none of them ever that actually yeah. ever came to the conference. It was just some online comments. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. Okay. <clears throat> um, COVID was raging here last August, yeah, it and was, it just, yeah. that was the middle of the Delta wave. And like, sure. I got it right at that same time. And, it was very surreal to have those type of comments, you know, just bombarding me when I'm like actually have because <laughs> that was at the point too where like this all this conspiracy theory moved past uh you know, first it was that it wasn't even real. And at that point they were like accepting that it is real and it's like, well, you know, maybe we just want to like not get people sick, you know, no matter what your stupid beliefs, but you know. Yeah. Right. I well, and Kirsten Weldon is the same. I I mentioned this in the book that she um, um, uh, she insisted that the uh, the 2018 false alarm about a missile threat in Hawaii was actually an assassination plot against Trump. Yeah. And the red dots that appeared on Trump during the 2018 Christmas tree lighting ceremony were part of a Mossad <laughs> effort to try to take him out. Massage. And then when Trump made a surprise and unexplained visit to a hospital in November 2019, Weldon claimed it was because. Trump Trump's official food taster was, quote, in critical condition because they poisoned all the salt and all the water in the White House, so they had to pump his stomach. Um, uh, so that, you know, and now she's dead <laughs> of COVID. Uh, yeah. uh, now, the same day that the Georgia uh, Guidestones uh, were brought down, Rick Rene immediately, uh, you know, takes, grabs his microphone. Um, to, to talk about it. And he was in, um, he was holed up in a hotel room in Virginia beach, Virginia, where there were, he was attending one of those reawaken America events. Are, oh, no. are you, are you yes. familiar with reawaken America, which was started by, um, this guy named Clay Clark, uh, who's this very successful business consultant, uh, and also Michael Flynn, they teamed up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and Clay, Clay Clark, uh, I watched this fascinating uh, interview with him where he talked about how Marina, Marina Abramovich, Bill Gates, and Jeffrey Epstein teamed up to create a new race of people by combining uh, Luciferase, which is an enzyme 
that that's not in the COVID-19 vaccine, but he claims it is, uh, that the, these three people teamed up to create a new race of humans by combining luciferase and Epstein's DNA into the COVID-19 vaccine. What? So if you, if you took the shot that you have Epstein's DNA inside of you, Oh no! Wow. <laughs> and this is not this is not someone who's just you know backwoods crazy guy living in a shack somewhere. This is like a multimillionaire <laughs> who has enough money to fund this reawaken America tour. They're going around yeah. you know San Diego, Virginia, Florida. Um, uh, they usually have them in churches, and they're these big like mega events and. They're going around saying this at each event. <laughs> if, you get, if you get the shot, you're going to have Jeffrey Epstein's DNA in you. Wow. And, I, and he was on this show. Um, it was, you know, like a Christian evangelical podcast. And I, I can't remember the name of the show at the moment. Uh, but, but the guy is talking to him. And after Clay Clark says all of this, the guy, the host goes, well, listen, I believe 100% everything that you just said. I mean, you've got the documentation. You've got <laughs> the documentation, you know, like there was no documentation. Um, and, uh, and in fact, in that same interview, I jotted this one down. This is, this, he said, if you open your Bible to Revelation chapter 13, verse 2, this was the documentation, you see. He said, this will really blow your mind. Revelation says that the beast will get its power from the dragon. The beast, a.k.a. these Bill Gates, RNA-modifying Luciferian nanotechnology shots. Who's Bill Gates? Who's driving this agenda? What country? China. What's China's logo? The dragon. It turns out we are living through the fulfillment of prophecy. And I'm telling you what, Jesus is king, and I really do believe that Trump will become the trumpet, meaning the alarm, waking people up. Uh, so, so he, so Rick Renee's in Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia, attending one of these events. So when he hears that the Georgia Guidestones has gone down, he immediately goes and decides to do a special, like, emergency broadcast. Yeah. And um, I, it was fascinating watching it because. I'm more and more fascinated uh, by the radicalization of of, of the right. I mean, this is a guy, Rick Renee, as I I said in the book, he describes himself. Like when you you subscribe to his email thing, he sends you his like superhero origin story. uh, And he'll tell you, well, you know, my son was watching these crazy conspiracy theory stuff and sending them to me. And then I was watching them. And I, you know, I used to be a guy who just, I just, you know, I watched Fox News and I went to church on Sundays and I played sports with my kid and like, that's it. But then he started sending me these videos and I started doing my own research and then I realized what was really going on. So like from the point of 2016 to now, he was just a guy going to church every Sunday, playing sports with his kids. And now he has this, you know, uh, a QTuber empire with Blessed to Teach show, and he's going on the air to tell us he was he was couldn't contain his giddiness while reporting on the explosion in Georgia, and uh, more than once he called the bombing exciting, amazing, awesome, and he said that the destruction was the will of God, and at one point he said that. Uh, he he said maybe it wasn't really a bombing but a natural lightning strike. Oh, uh-huh. uh, okay. Is that where that comes from? Because I heard people say that. 
when it, it happens. It's funny, the, the, the yeah. lightning strike thing has now actually been added to the Wikipedia page for the Georgia Guidestones as rumors, you know, uh, surrounding its oh, destruction. No. Uh, there, there's, there's something weird going on behind the scenes at Wikipedia where over the past four weeks, they keep removing and then putting back in and removing any reference to Dr. Kirsten uh, in the... Um, uh-huh. Isn't that, yeah, Dr. Kirsten, right? Dr. Uh, Kirsten, yep. Uh, they keep removing that uh, and then putting it back in and someone will remove it. Yeah, um, and Dr. Future's movie finally made it on there. And that's it's funny, you can go and see the back and forth uh, uh, of what people are commenting on, you know, right. when they're challenged, the veracity of it. And the main source of contention is the director of the documentary. And the, 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 Chris the, Pinto, yeah, yep. The critiques are, this guy's not reliable. He did all these other crazy documentaries. Uh, so you can't base, you, you can't put this here. It's not reliable. Uh, when, in fact, the information doesn't really come from him. Yeah. It, it comes from, from Dr. Future, you know, uh, who apparently had to go out of his way to get that information in, included in the documentary. If you watch the documentary, it's clear that there's no wiggle room. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's all there. You can see well, it. I, uh, the, the, I would call the, it proof. Yeah. It's funny, Robert, because I was about to say that, like, you know, that article that you read from uh, the Elberton newspaper, they're still saying, well, it's just this mysterious individual. So we're still there. You know, for most people, we're still there that RC Christian was, a, it's like Mike did his homework. We've talked about it a lot. He did it. I was actually over there when he was like at his house, when he was like talking to someone that was giving him information just as he was doing the research. It's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's slam dunk that this is right. The guy. It's absolutely. You see the chain of evidence right there yeah. in the documentary. It's not open to interpretation. Um, and yes, you're right. In the article here, it does say the only known by the pseudonym of Robert C. Christian and then they just leave it there um, because, you know, it's better to keep it a mystery, I suppose, from their yeah, perspective. They, they got to add it to every new uh, paranormal TV program season that comes out. You know, they got to have their keep milking and, it. And also the truth of it is, is far more disturbing. Right. <laughs> than, than if it was, you know, the Illuminati that yeah. did it. I mean, it's been um, the only monument to you know this new world order illuminati mythos like that exists so it's it's the biggest target that i could think of for someone with that ideology yes i i, I watched your your interview with dr future post explosion and i liked the he, he pointed out the fact that you would think the the center of the new world order would be rome or new york or something no yeah it, it, it's, it's you know a small town georgia that's the that's the center of the new world El- order no, Elbridge, was, georgia it was on the thirty-third parallel. Yeah, that's I, 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 that 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 actually that actually is interesting. And and the part about the it fascinated me. The part where Doctor Future is talking about the letter that was supposedly possibly the thing that was supposed to go in the time capsule, where it said, yeah, you know, yeah. take this to the to the Rosicrucians. I I, I wonder if that's if that wasn't added later or something that had nothing to do with, with uh, Dr. Kirsten, because it just seems odd to me that the whole purpose of the monument was supposed to be, you know, post-nuclear war. Right. And, and you go there. So why would you have a time capsule that says, Oh, pick up the phone 
and call the newspaper, <laughs> and then the newspaper is going to send you over to the Rosicrucian Temple? I mean, yeah. w- would the phones be working? <laughs> I feel like from talking to Mike, and, and Mike actually has some of these documents and stuff, some of the Rosicrucians talking about it and all that. I feel like the Rosicrucians were trying to take some credit after <laughs> the fact. That's what I feel like they were trying to do. I, I have, I've had some, I, I, I'm not a Rosicrucian, but Richard Schoengert was, and I actually attended um, various ceremonies at the Los Angeles Rosicrucian Temple, and uh, and this kind of ties in with with something else. Uh, where where, where uh, Doctor Future said that he he I'm going to just call him Doctor Future because I love that yeah. much better. Uh, uh, he that he <laughs> called the Rosicrucians, and they were kind of acting cagey about it. I, I immediately got the sense that that was them kind of wanting to take credit without saying anything about it and just keep it a little enigmatic. Yeah. Um, they're a secret and, society. They're great at that. And, and the same thing with the, where he was talking about, he, he was talking to the, the, the Freemasons who were involved in the construction and they were kind of like acting coy or like fiddling with their Masonic ring. Yeah. I, I could, I, I've known, I, I'm a 32nd degree Mason. I've known other Masons. I could see them just doing that just to like, to fuck with them. Yeah. Especially yeah. some old timers. Yeah. Yeah. But see, 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 Robert, you're part of the conspiracy. You're, you're just well, part yeah, of the conspiracy. That's right. You can't really trust anything that I say. Um, <laughs> um, and, and Renee would be the first to tell you that I'm sure. Does Rick Renee know that you, that he's in your book? Well, he's got like a whole chapter. <laughs> it's right, the whole, a whole chapter. It's the whole book. The whole yeah, you would think that there would be some response, but I kind of knew. In fact, there's one point where I say in there, uh, not talking about Rick, but talking about Gene, and I say something like, "Well, maybe he's never considered this, and he probably never will unless he reads this passage." But I know that's not going to happen <laughs> because they say to stay away from any media that's not Trump yeah. media. So, yeah, so it. Right. it because right. not because they're trying to protect he's trying to protect his listeners from fake news, but because they really do believe that they have the ability to alter timelines. Yeah. So yeah. if they yeah. give right. their attention, if they give oxygen to my timeline, then my timeline is going to come true. So so they're not going to pay attention to my timeline. They're focused on their timeline. Uh, and of course, the age of social media makes that solipsism perfectly tenable and possible. <laughs> so just a couple of things that you mentioned here. I did a Google search on reawaken America. This is 22 hours ago as we were recording this on the 10th of August. I guess this is in New York. Attorney General puts a reawaken America to her coming to Batavia. That's New York this week on warning. And then dozens protest reawaken America to her in Batavia. No violence expected from reawaken America attendees. That that's an ominous headline. <laughs> yeah. no, no violence expected. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, um, if I think if there was no violence expected, you wouldn't have to write that headline. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, but but uh, amongst the other interesting things said uh, at the reawaken America tour, and I should point out that actually there have been a lot of because as I said. They've done a lot of these events at, in churches, and a lot of Christian groups have come out and said, no, like not in, not in our church and not in our city. You know, keep, keep walking, pal. 
and they've had to go on to another venue. So it's not like there's no pushback from from Christians. Um, I, I mean, because you know, there's the danger of making it sound like I'm I'm uh, casting aspersions on all Christians. Uh, uh, no. But you know, the book is focusing on a a. a I would love to say fringe, but it <laughs> it's gone past right. the point of being able to say fringe. Uh, but but certainly far right extremist evangelical Christians. Yeah, I like to call them uh, a mutation of this Christianity. Is a, I'm looking That's, at the reawaken yeah. we awaken America tour website. This is a motley crew. Uh, <laughs> this, I mean, oh yes, I mean yeah, yeah, just it, like they still have Vlad Doctor Zelenko on here, and he's actually dead. Not by COVID. He, he had cancer. That's not going to stop him. That's true. In, in, a, different ti- in a different timeline, he's alive. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's Michael Flynn, Roger Stone. Yep. Uh, that's kind of the usual suspects. It, it gets more interesting if you go deeper down. You'll see it says Robert Kennedy Sid- Jr. Sidney Powell. Apparently, uh, Jim Brewer is, is, has gone complete QAnon, and he's doing... Oh, um, What? He's doing stuff with him, doing a comedy show with him. <laughs> I would uh, love to see what that comedy show is like. Doctor, well, that's Doctor Sherry, Doctor Sherry Tenpenny, who yep. I'll, 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 he, she, I, I actually just watched uh, with with Doctor Future today because he recorded this this conference. It was like uh, I had to think of the name of it real quick, but like it was a conference that somebody put on in Ohio go there for a conference and she was one of the speakers at it and i mean she has completely just embraced all this kind of weird evangelical christian weirdness like the nephilim stuff and all that yeah she's she's mixing all that in with her with her anti-vax stuff right so there there you have like a dr tenpenny and she's a doctor right i guess I, th- I think she is. Yes, I think that's yeah, her whole thing. Uh, I've always loved her name because it sounds like like a character in an Ian Fleming novel Dr. or something. Tenpenny. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, um, and and her and Robert Kennedy Jr., who I mentioned, is also on that list. There was an article I think in the New York Times just a couple of weeks ago saying the the headline was something like um, parents. Uh, or, or, or people who changed their politics during the plan, uh, during the pandemic, uh, and it was all about like one issue voters. Mm-hmm. So there are people who otherwise would be considered sort of on the on the left side of the political spectrum who are so focused on the vaccine thing that they've gone entirely over to the other side. Yeah, uh, because that's the only issue they care about. So that's how that's why you have, I assume, uh, Dr. Tenpenny there or Robert Kennedy Jr. there. Mm-hmm. Is Robert Kennedy Jr. in here? I don't see him. Yeah, I, but, he was he was listed on a list of speakers at another Reawaken oh America event. Um, I don't know if um, he's a consistent speaker in all of them, or if this was just happened to be one of them. But I, I'd uh, really, he, I'd really love to know what happened to Laura Logan. What happened? What happened? Well, uh, you know, with Robert Kennedy Jr., like, is there any point where he's on stage with Michael Flynn and Roger Stone, you know, and they're backstage in the green room or something, and and it's, and he's like, what nightmare did I wake up in where I'm here? Like, how did I end up here? <laughs> you know, what strange sequence of events led to this moment? Um, like, is there a moment where he questions himself? Uh, the Michael Flynn said, amongst the other interesting things said in the Reawaken America tour, uh, in San Diego in March of 2022, uh, Michael Flynn, who is 
remember an intelligence officer trained in psyops and propaganda. He said uh, to a, a frenzied crowd of Trump supporters, we need you to charge the machine gun nest. Maybe I'm just asking you to dig a little bit deeper there or hold this on the line or form up because we're going to counterattack over here. And that counterattack is we're going to go after school boards. So that that's yep. a major theme, going after the school boards. Um, <clears throat> and and uh, because... You know, they're they're very they're, there's been all this kind of um, kind of right wing uh, cancel culture. I don't know why we need a new phrase for censorship, uh, but there's been you know uh, attempts to ban mouse by Art Spiegelman yeah. in in high uh, schools and and uh, et cetera. Uh, and because you know they 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 don't like they don't they don't want anything to be taught that changes the timeline, right? Uh, and so this is why. Uh, Michael Flynn is saying this, and you can, you know, you can interpret for yourself whether that that machine gun nest is a, a metaphor or right. not. Uh, but Roger Stone, Roger Stone, in May of 20, 2022, said at a Reawaken America event in South Carolina that there is a satanic portal above the White House, uh, which appeared when Joe Biden became president, and the only way wow. to close it is to is to pray. Um, and I, I, I thought that's fascinating because I don't really wow. think Roger Stone believes there's a demonic portal. Well, he's born again now. <laughs> I, 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 I get the sense that you, some of these people you are. You think he's are... cynical? No. <laughs> cynical and evil, not born again believer? One of the people that is pictured here is Greg Locke, who, um, you know, that's a local boy. Is a, is, yeah, is a pastor here in, in Nashville. In fact, I could, I could, Robert, if you're ever here, I could take you to his church. I'll show you where it is. Uh, I would love that. Uh, he might sense my presence. <laughs> yeah, he does like to call out witches in the audience. So I feel like there's a warlock in the audience. Uh, and, and, and he would know that because I would be like wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't eyes even wide. get in, dude, with the mask. Yeah, <laughs> just wear an eyes wide shut mask instead. Just oh, like, that would be good. Yeah, I'll wear a Venetian mask. <laughs> uh, yes, a uh, 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 Greg Locke is a fascinating guy. Uh, uh, in fact, um, just recently, he uh, said, uh, "In in um, uh, there's a guy named uh, Christopher uh, Hodup, H O D A P P. He wrote." Um, He's written. He's a Freemason. He's written various books about Freemasonry, uh, and he he wrote about Gary Locke uh, just this past February. And he said um, Gary Locke regularly urges his audiences to quote destroy everything Masonic unquote, uh, and has unfortunately gotten increased airplay online in the last few weeks. Most recently, Locke held a highly publicized book burning event in Florida. We remember combining- that. Harry Potter and Twilight books to the flames, along with, by the way, Fahrenheit 451, with absolutely no sense of irony whatsoever. Did he, did he do it in Florida, too? Because they did it at their church here. Yes, yes, it says it was in Florida. Yeah. Hmm. So you're saying wow. he did it there yes. as well? Yeah, yeah so yeah, he's going yeah. on a book-burning tour, it sounds like. Yeah. And he right. did that around the same time that, uh, I think this is in February, it was around the same time that a Tennessee um, school district in East Tennessee, that when they banned mouse. Yeah. So it was like all at the same time that that was going on. Looked real bad for Tennessee, for the home state there. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, it says, declaring Freemasonry to be satanic, his anti-Masonic rant from that event has been endlessly forwarded around social yeah. media. 
It's, um, it's kind of comical. He's like, I don't care about your granddaddy's fish fry. It's satanic. <laughs> uh, uh, he also, uh, there was a great um, article on the religious news service earlier this year about him uh, calling out the witches yes. in his church. Yeah. Uh, yep. He said, mm-hmm. uh, we got. He, he said uh, the offering was over. This is from the article. The offering was over, and the worship team at Global Vision Bible Church had just finished singing Oh, How I Love Jesus when the Reverend Locke began telling his church about his conversations with demons. He has conversations with demons. I think that that's fascinating. <laughs> Those demons, he said, had revealed the names of a group of full-blown spell-casting witches who'd been sent to infiltrate Global Vision. Um, where Locke is pastor. To God be the glory, I lie not. He told the congregation, which was meeting in a packed tent on the church's property, we got first and last names of six witches that are in our church. And you know what's strange? Three of you are in this room right now. (laughs) I would have been there. Everyone's looking around at each other. You know, uh, you're trying to, and then you're just trying to look straight ahead. To, to not have any kind of emotion on your face so that they think that, you know, they don't think that you were the witch. Locke told the congregation that he'd gotten the names while casting a demon out of a woman who had recently begun coming to Global Vision. The preacher, uh, known for his sensationalist sermons about politics and COVID-19, uh, went on to describe the exorcism in detail, quoting a demon with a scruffy voice who accused worshipers at the church of being witches. Two of the witches were in his wife's Bible study said Locke, who warned the alleged witches not to make a move during his sermon. He then retold the New Testament story of Jesus casting a demon out of a man and into a herd of pigs, turning it into an extended monologue about witches in the church. You so much as cough wrong, and I'll expose you in front of everybody under this tent, you stinking spell-casting pharmakia devil-worshipping mongrel, he said, using a <laughs> using a Greek word that sometimes describes those who practice witchcraft, you were sent to destroy this church. In recent years, Locke has used his sermon to attack LGBTQ people, accuse Democratic politicians of child abuse, spread claims about election fraud, denounce vaccines, and claim that the COVID-19 pandemic is a hoax. During Sunday's sermon, he blamed witchcraft for an outbreak of illness in the church i don't know who he blames for the outbreak of mental illness so, uh, in the church so in other words someone had some disagreement about allocations of church funds and he just <laughs> and what what he literally decided to do was uh, purge those people from the church right that's what i you know like according to the demons with whom i regularly consort uh <laughs> when women are being accused of witchcraft you can take it to the bank that those are the women who either have been consistently sexually abused <laughs> or they're the ones who figured out like where the funds are really going yeah, um, yeah but but they're also the ones that at midnight kiss the kiss the devil's hindquarters Right, exactly. It's just like uh, I mean, it's 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 incredible. It's just like uh, the Salem witch trials, where a lot of the women who were accused of being witches were older women who were widows who owned property, right? And you know, they wanted the property. I want to talk about the book a little bit. Get us some of the themes. Uh, so the book is called Operation Mindfuck: QAnon and the Cult of Donald Trump. We're gonna have and- to put a parental advisory on this one. Yeah, we might have to. I'm curious why you chose the title Operation Mindfuck, you know, because that, of course, brings up like, you know, Discordianism and, and original it, Operation Mindfuck. Yeah, right. Right. Well, uh, that that goes back to one of the main themes in the book, which is talking about how when I first started, I, I was aware of QAnon, you know, when it first popped up, 
in October 2017, but I, I wasn't really paying any attention to it. I mean, I knew people who were following it, but I wasn't really that interested. So I didn't really start digging into it deeply until just after the lockdown. And I, when a friend of mine started sending me all these links, and then I actually went and looked at them, and immediately I noticed the pattern, which was that they would take all these conspiracy theories from the past and then uh, flip them so that a conspiracy theory that was at its heart anti-fascist at its core, even if it, uh, the, the truth or, or, or the uh, reality of the conspiracy theory doesn't really matter in this context, it's just that the, whether it was true or not, the core theme of the conspiracy theory was essentially anti-fascist. So if you're talking about like May Brussels talking about uh, Operation Chaos, and she believed that uh, there was a concerted effort to assassinate various rock stars in the 60s and early 70s uh, because they were against the Vietnam War. So Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, etc. QAnon takes that same theory and then flips it so that now the people who were the victims, the rock stars, they're, they're now the perpetrators. Uh, so the, in, in the uh, documentary that I talk about uh, in, in the book, they, they have this whole segment um, uh, out of shadows. Uh, the documentary, which is kind of a thin, thinly veiled QAnon um, video, even though QAnon's never mentioned, uh, though they do go into Pizzagate, uh, QAnon's never mentioned, but the whole thing is like QAnon recruitment video. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole segment about how Jim Morrison and Frank Zappa were actually the like MK ultra progeny right. of, of the military because their fathers were in the military. Isn't that and the so Dave McGowan stuff? Yeah, that's a Dave McGowan idea. That, that yeah. is very much related to Dave McGowan's book, which by the way, I wasn't aware. Uh, what's the title of McGowan's, uh, the main book? Weird scenes in the Canyon. Weird scenes of the canyon. Okay, and then there's another one called, I think, "Program to Kill." Yes, yeah. it, it's 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 uh, it's very strange. Uh, there's a synchronicity level here because I hadn't been aware of those books, but I was at a book signing for Camilio in 2015 at the Skylight Books in LA, mm -hmm. uh, and this one woman came up to me and she wanted me to to sign the book, so I signed it, and then she said, "Oh, you should read this book," and she wrote down. McGowan's, the title of McGowan's book. Uh, and then, so I looked it up and I found out that McGowan, who's passed away now, he's not alive any longer. Uh, McGowan uh, grew up, lived in Torrance, where I grew up. Wow. Uh, uh, and I don't, you know, but I never met him. <laughs> I don't know anyone who ever knew him. Yeah, I ran into his daughter at a um, at a book fair a few years ago and she's like an editor and she, there was some like random books sitting out there and she had a couple of his books and I was like, Oh wow. I went right up to it. She was like, yeah, it was my dad. He was, uh, he was quite the, quite the researcher. Yeah. 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 The, uh, so all that's fascinating. And so they, yes, they take that. Uh, uh, and, but they, they morph it into, uh, that, you know, Frank Zappa and Jim Morrison, these rock stars, were kind of like the Pied Pipers of LSD, mm -hmm. uh, roaming around the United States and uh, turning on uh, otherwise, you know, Christian innocent children onto LSD and other drugs. Uh, and it, it's been my experience that, like, high school students don't need anyone's encouragement, really, to experiment with uh, illegal drugs <laughs> or mind-altering substances. Uh, so... 
uh, and also uh, not just May Brussel, uh, but going back to like Operation Vampire Killer 2000, uh, which I read when it first came out, which is a saddle saddle stitched kind of booklet that was published by an organization called Police Against the New World Order, uh, which was run by a guy named Jack McClam. And all these guys were retired or former or current law enforcement officers in the early 90s who were really uh, against the militarization of the police. Uh, and they were constantly warning about imminent martial law. Uh, and when I first discovered this book, I thought it was interesting that they were they were right-wingers, more like libertarians, right. who didn't like George Bush. You know, they didn't like George H.W. Bush. They didn't like the Republican Party. And they were very much against the militarization of the police and warning against this. Uh, and I thought, perhaps there's an opportunity here, like a bridge could be formed between yeah. these people and progressives or liberals who are also concerned about those same issues. Uh, and even if they didn't agree on why any of this was happening, they, they, they agreed that they were against the militarization of the police. Uh, and I thought, here's an opportunity for these groups to perhaps combine resources. Well, that was a far too uh, optimistic uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. view on my part, because, of course, almost instantly it descended into the militia movement. Mm-hmm. And and being scared of the of the blue helmeted uh, UN troops uh, marching into the country and uh, people like Mark Cornkey wanting to uh, pick up arms to you know defend um, the United States from the foreign heathen hordes um, uh, and and so I thought it was fascinating that a lot of that that concern that I heard so much. For example, when Linda Thompson, who was an attorney who made a video called uh, Waco the Big Lie, uh, she'd go around the country showing this video uh, and and talking about the concentration camps that were going to be popping up at any moment and all the Christian patriots were going to be thrown into the camps. So you had all these uh, kind of libertarian-leaning right-wingers concerned for decades about imminent martial law and the concentration camps and being against that. And then suddenly, like after two weeks of Q, an anonymous poster going on 4chan, suddenly that concern had been flipped uh, completely around to where now they were welcoming martial law. Like that was, that's, that's the plan. Uh, yes. And that's one of the QAnon slogans is trust the military or the military is the only way. And and because now it was all the liberal Democrats who were going to get thrown into the concentration camp, and this was the way to solve the problem. Yeah, um, they've been primed to accept authoritarianism, essentially. Yes, uh, and yeah. I thought that was a fascinating sociological experiment that you could do that. You could take someone and and take these deeply held beliefs and just spin it and like flip it in just a, a few weeks because of an anonymous person <laughs> posting yeah. uh, questions. Uh, on on 4chan, uh, I, I mean, I, I would think that um, the, the the team Q that they themselves would be impressed by the success of that. Um, and and of course, uh, another irony uh, that I mentioned in the book is the fact that in Out of Shadows, they make a big deal about Michael Aquino and the the document that he wrote, Mind War. Uh, uh, which most people would have come across in Behold a Pale Horse by William Cooper. And they, they make a big deal about the fact that Michael Aquino was, was a Satanist. Well, he was actually a, a Setian, 
he was briefly in the Church of Satan and then left because they weren't hardcore enough. So then he started the Temple of Set, uh, and he was an occultist, and then he gets wrapped up in the whole satanic panic in the 80s, accused of running a child sex traffic ring out of the Presidio in San Francisco. He's found innocent of those charges in the court of law, and and he uh, becomes infamous in conspiracy theory circles because of this paper, Mind War, that William Cooper published in Behold the Pale Horse. And Mind War, he was asked to write it, being a psychological warfare officer, he was asked to write it by Paul Vallelay, uh, whose name is also there on the Mind War paper by Paul Vallelay and Michael Aquino. Uh, Paul Vallelay, his superior, said, I'd like to get some new ideas about how psychological warfare could be handled in this new electronic age. We're, we're, this is post-Vietnam. Uh, yeah. we, can't, we can't keep doing the same kind of psychological warfare operations we've been doing in the past. They're not efficient anymore. We need to start thinking about this in a new way. So Aquino comes up with this whole thing, mind war. And the whole thesis is that um, in order for psychological warfare to be successful in the future, you have to do it in such a way where you create a rapport between the psychological warfare operator uh, and the target audience so that the target audience is never even aware that they're that they're being in any way massaged or manipulated where they think that all their actions are their own decision and that he and he went on, he even says that this rapport is almost it's so subtle that it almost reaches like ESP levels uh and so but no, at no point in the Out of Shadows documentary do they mention uh, that Paul Vallelay, the co-author of this Mind War paper, which the documentary implies that Mind War is this sort of uh, satanic-inspired uh, uh, methodology for, for manipulating people's minds, they don't mention that the one military guy who came out in support of QAnon and actually went on several different radio shows to say, I know for a fact, because Paul Valley is, is, in fact, a very uh, well-respected, high-ranking military officer, goes on these radio shows and says, I know that, that the information that Q is posting is real. Trump can't um, trust his, uh, the various intelligence agencies anymore, so he relies on the small group of former and current intelligence officers who are feeding information to Q, and Q is posting them. So this was met with... Uh, you know, great cheers and accolades by the QAnon community, because this was the first time that someone actually official had come out and said, oh, no, this is real. So no one ever stops and says, oh, that's interesting. The guy who co-wrote the Mind War paper with Michael Aquino is the one guy who comes out and says, yes, Q is real. and You can believe everything that he's saying. And right. then if you look, right. look at the way the structure of QAnon, the way the posts are written, they're written in exactly the way that, that Aquino and Valley suggest a psychological warfare operation should be handled uh -huh. in post-Vietnam era. You create the rapport with the audience, and you do it. So if they're all written as questions, right? They're not statements, not saying you should do this, you should go vote for Trump, or you should go on January 6th and, and uh, raid the Capitol building. It's just ask a series of questions. Uh, and there's a lot of confirmation bias there. And the questions are make it seem as if the, the, the target is the one who's doing the research and coming to their own conclusion 
but in fact, the questions have been, have been written in such a way and in such a context that if taken in the context of all the previous posts, you can only really come to one conclusion, uh, particularly if you're only focusing on the information that Q is giving you. Yeah. It's and got I think its that own that's frame what, that they work within. Yeah, and particularly when you have people like Rick Renee going on the air and saying, ignore everything else. All this other stuff is illusion. Uh, it's funny that it almost that there's almost a Gnostic, there's a kind of distorted Gnostic quality to QAnon, where it's Absolutely. like, every, you know, there's like the reality we see is not objective reality. It's an illusion. Uh, you know, the deep state. It's it's there's a veil covering uh, the illusion that we experience every day with reality. Uh, and that if you just peel the curtain back then real reality will, will shine down upon you and you will be illuminated. <laughs> Doesn't Flynn have background in like psychological warfare too? Absolutely. At, least he, at least he understands, understands it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so does, so does Valet. Um, so it, it, when, when, when you realize this, uh, and and you see that the uh, the posts are written in such a way that there are these questions and they kind of lead you on, but it makes you think that you've come to this this conclusion on your own, and and uh, that's why I think with uh, January six, there was a whole slew of uh, Q suicides uh, of people who came home and actually killed themselves uh, be, because you know most of them went there, most of the MAGA crowd went there, not, I suspect, not intending to uh, create any kind of violence whatsoever. Uh, but uh, suddenly they're swept up in this thing because uh, they think that uh, this is all their decision. It's their decision to go march on the Capitol, even though Trump said to go do it. Then, then they go in and they come out. And a lot of them, I noticed when I was watching it unfold, they came out kind of like in a daze. Like they just went through some they just went on the Matterhorn at Disneyland for the first time, and then they and then they came off, and they're like, "What just happened?" Um, uh, it's like they had a wild ride, just like all that adrenaline, and just yeah, yeah. And and some of them, in fact, realizing that they just woke up out of this dream, this collective dream, uh, thinking they had red pilled when in fact they had blue pilled. Uh, that's the other thing I mentioned in the book about how they, they use the Matrix as their main uh, metaphor, uh, you know, a science fiction movie made by two transgender women. Uh, but meanwhile, <laughs> uh, they're, they're the, the anti-transgender uh, uh, and homophobia uh, theme runs throughout uh, QAnon and a lot of these evangelical Christians who are super into Q, including a lot of uh, political uh, candidates. Uh, uh, who are just out and out queuing on candidates. Like, uh, uh, there have been articles about uh, this guy, uh, what's his name, Jackson, uh, Jaron Jackson, uh, Republican state Senate candidate uh, in Oklahoma, I believe. Uh, there's an article here by uh, Carmen Foreman, Oklahoma Senate candidate Jaron Jackson posts homophobic anti Semitic remarks on social media. 
It says uh, a Republican state Senate candidate said being gay is disgusting, called the LGBTQ lifestyle the gateway to pedophilia, and said he is not beholden to Jews and posts and videos on right-wing social media platforms. A retired combat veteran, self-published author, and the owner of an ammunition business, Jackson advanced to the August 23rd GOP runoff primary in Senate District 2, just northeast of Tulsa. Jackson led in the June primary, clinching support from 34% of Republican voters. Jackson, who says he's running for the open Senate seat, quote, to defend Oklahomans against further communist infiltration, unquote, mm-hmm. posts near daily live streams in which he delves into conspiracy theories and talks about Christianity and current events. He also is a frequent poster on the social media app Telegram, where he describes himself as a Bible-believing Christian, constitution-defending, patriotic Trump supporter. In Telegram posts, Jackson said using the phrase LGBTQ is using language designed by Satan, and LGBTQ is the gateway to pedophilia. He also wrote, call me old-fashioned, but I don't want a society of homosexuals. In social media posts, Jackson has occasionally talked about QAnon. What I'm thankful for the Q movement and many Anons is their pursuit of fact-finding and skepticism. Let me see much of Satan's scheme, whereas I had not previously seen, Jackson wrote in an October post. In one post, Jackson said he doesn't follow Q, he follows Jesus. But he then went on to say Q is good, and that Q got me to see behind the curtain of how the godless commies do stuff. Um, And that's actually a... uh, A a frequent theme. Um, There was an article uh, May 7th uh, this year, ABC News journalist Kiera, uh, uh, some Republicans use false pedophilia claims to attack Democrats, LGBTQ people. And and it goes on and says, in Michigan, state Republican Senator uh, Lana Theus falsely claimed in April her Democratic colleague, Senator Mallory McMorrow, wants to groom and sexualize kindergartens, kindergartners and teach that eight-year-olds are responsible for slavery in a fundraising email. In New Jersey, the National Republican Congressional Committee claimed Democratic uh, Representative Tom Malinowski was protecting pedophiles, an accusation he told Yahoo News was a ploy to rile up their QAnon base. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Georgia Republican who continuously expresses support for a number of QAnon theories, called Democrats the party of killing babies, grooming, and transitioning children, and pro-pedophile politics in April. And during Judge Kentonji Brown Jackson's Supreme Court confirmation hearings, the jurors faced misleading allegations by several Republican legislators that she has a long record of letting child porn offenders off the hook during sentencing. Um, so it, it's... Uh, it's fascinating that this is uh, this is a consistent thing among the QAnon people, and yet their main metaphor is is the Matrix, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and 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 it's fascinating that they think they call themselves red pilled Christians. I mean, that's the phrase they use uh, when, in fact, they they have blue pilled. They they've gone down the rabbit hole into pure illusion uh, while thinking they've done the exact opposite. You know, Robert, I wanted to ask you, I'm just going to ask you now, the big question that I have, and something that's really been on my mind through reading this book and just seeing all this kind of craziness is what effect does this have on society? I mean, it seems very, very corrosive. And, you know, what you're just mentioning there about this whole, like, you know, they keep talking about groomers this and groomers that. and like and then how does that affect teachers a lot of teachers are quitting their jobs for a multitude of reasons but some of it 
is because of this kind of nonsense that's going on and this like modern day type of witch hunt. And, you know, doctors and nurses have kind of felt the, the sting of this too, uh, with them being accused of, of killing patients and, and the craziness, the sheer craziness that has just gone on. I mean, it's, what effect does this have on our society? It's almost just like it just, it, it's like eating us from the inside. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Michael Flynn is the one who actually coined the phrase digital soldier uh, in a totally different context because he does have that background in psychological warfare. And so this is like pre-QAnon, but somehow that phrase like leaked into the QAnon world. So they call themselves digital soldiers. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and read Camellio, which is all about my book, all about uncon- unconstitutional surveillance and harassment, that was all about like face-to-face yeah. surveillance and harassment, right? It's like somebody decided to take that and go digital. Uh, so we can surveil and harass people online. Uh, we don't need uh, to do it. We don't need to like park people right outside your house uh, and have them shining halogen lights through your bedroom window at 3 a.m. Uh, they can just troll and harass you online. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's almost like Camilio if you read that book, that's all about one guy being gangstalked, my friend Damien. Uh, Operation Mindfuck is all about like the whole world being gangstalked. Uh, but it's <laughs> happening online, but also not just online. Uh, the way I structured the third part of the book, which was originally a four-part series I did for the Evergreen Review, is it's you, 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 uh, you get the information that's going on in the QAnon world. So I quote from Rick Renee, and I quote from Gene, and I quote from Kirsten Weldon, and these QAnon uh, QTubers. And, and you hear the kind of like insanity that's going on in their weird virtual QAnon world. And then I'll cut to like either a newspaper article or my own ruminations on what's going on in the real world. And you see how whatever they said in the QTube world leaks out into the three-dimensional world. <laughs> and so it's no longer confined to just DIY zines. You know, there was a time where conspiracy, conspiracy theories were confined to DIY zines or, you know, flyers stapled to telephone poles um, uh, or the dark. This September, join Jordan Feliz and special guest Jonathan Trailer on the Jesus is Coming Back Tour, heading to your city. So keep your head up. Join Jordan and Jonathan in Spokane, Washington at Calvary Spokane on Thursday, September 8th. That's Spokane, Washington on September 8th. The Jesus is Coming Back Tour, live in your city this fall. More information at transparentproductions.com. Web uh, later on. And now you see in that third part in uh, Operation Mindfuck how it's, it's spilling out uh, into the real world. And I was really fascinated by, I heard your interview with Jonathan Vankin. And yeah. I, thought, I thought it was fascinating that Vankin pointed out, he said, he, said he, he almost felt, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting exactly, because it was several months ago that you interviewed him. That he almost it's almost a year somewhat, ago, actually. Almost a year ago. Yeah, that he yeah. felt almost a little guilty or like somewhat responsible because he had written the 50 greatest conspiracies and, and these, other, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. conspiracies, cover-ups and crimes, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties. That and, book and had then, a huge influence on me, man. 
Sure, I remember. I, I, checked it, yeah. I, I, I checked it out from the uh, Torrance Main Library, uh, like when it when it came out, um, and and uh, it, so he he and he said how at the time his feeling was that conspiracy theories were uh, an essentially anti-authoritarian uh, mode of thinking. That at its core, it was meant to question. Uh, consensus reality, and that at the time in the late '80s, early '90s, that was something that was desperately needed. Uh, uh, it's it's almost like uh, what Terrence McKenna talks about in regards to psychedelics, where he, he he talks about how there are those people who need to dissolve boundaries, and then there are other people who need to maintain boundaries. And the people who need to maintain boundaries should never experiment with psychedelics or ayahuasca or anything like that. Uh, Similar to Israel Regardi talking about ceremonial magic, where Israel Regardi said there are certain types of people who shouldn't mess with ceremonial magic because that's all about dissolving boundaries. Uh, and if you already have like a tenuous grasp on reality, it's probably not a good thing to do. Israel Regardi, in fact, said you should you should have some sort of minimum background in psychology mm-hmm. before getting involved in in ceremonial magic. Uh, and so, in a way, you could you could throw conspiracy theory in there with psychedelics. Yeah, and with ceremonial magic, uh, and and Vankin said that you know uh, during the the Reagan Bush era, and then and then leading into into the Clinton era, that that was something that was desperately needed to, to question consensus reality. And I remember having you know back when I bothered to have like face to face arguments with like with right wingers, you, you know I, I thought oh if only they understood. Uh, that some of these conspiracies are actually real, you know, Iran-Contra or whatever it is that you're talking about, uh, um, that they, that it would open their eyes to the fact that their uh, patriotic worldview was actually built on very um, fragile ground, uh, and that they might start questioning uh, the the the, the uh, politicians that they had supported over the years, and and. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, conspiracy theory is a, is a, a doorway into that, possibly into getting them to see um, that what they these deeply held beliefs are are actually based on on falsehoods sometimes. And, but uh, what, what has happened is that Q Team Q figured out how to do that. Like, like it, it's amazing how I'll watch some of these QTubers, whether it's Rick Renee or whoever, and they'll actually be quoting Alex Constantine. <laughs> you know, uh, or they'll yeah. they'll actually say something that's true. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, the CIA's involvement in, in drug running, like during Vietnam. You know, like the, the politics of heroin in, in, in Southeast Asia uh, by Heinrich uh, Kruger. Uh, I mean, these things are, are based on reality, and so they'll they'll get something that's true, and then they'll quickly veer off into the twilight zone, and it's almost like they. So someone figured out how to introduce that information into the worldview, but they figured out how to absorb it while maintaining their worldview. Yeah. So, so, so the, the response to accepting it was not to become less medieval. It was to become more medieval. <laughs> yeah, I think you're, you're really hitting on something. I think that the, this modern extreme right, we've really adopted this uh, anti-establishment style of the old uh, parent, often paranoid left. And now like being anti-establishment is on almost synonymous with so many people with this particular ideology. And on the other side of that, 
now so many people who were, uh, you know, left anti-establishment folks are kind of like in going on the defensive against all this stuff or end up being apologists for the, you know, foreign policy elites and, and like all these groups, the mainstream media that they used to like, they used to decry. Right. It's almost like, um, uh, I remember seeing an interview with a journalist who was talking about Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson's effect on, on mainstream journalism. When, when he started reporting on the 72 presidential campaign and bringing all his like, uh, kind of uh, pranksterism, like Gonzo techniques, yeah. uh, to, to journalism. Uh, uh, and, and I think, you know, you read fair and loathing on the campaign trail, 1972, and, and that book, in retrospect, he was one of the few who saw like the dark world coming, uh, and and you can see all the evidence of it in that book. He, he so he was seeing the world in a way that none of these other kind of mainstream uh, uh, journalists were, were seeing the world. They were just reporting the facts, and that's it. But he was seeing something beyond that. Well, uh, I think it was it was um, one of his colleagues in Rolling Stone said that later you had all these journalists saying, "Hey, wait, I can do that too." You know, I, you know. He, he shouldn't be the only one having having all the fun, uh, and so that journalism kind of began to seep into completely subjective. Uh, you know, everything was subjective. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, Conrad S. Thompson was trying to like burst a, a, a hole through that idea that that journalism was entirely objective and only told the facts, and and so people like him and Norman Mailer and Tom Wolfe and Joan Didion came in and said, well, no, journalism. It, it can be subjective, and it's, in fact, more honest if the writer puts himself in and says what his point of view is uh, so that the reader knows where the writer's coming from. And, but then that turned into something where then it became entirely subjective. Uh, and, then, and then later, after you go back, uh, you know, a generation passes, suddenly, like, the younger journalists are coming in going, you know, we need to just do, like, mainstream journalism now. Like, that was the, the alternative thing was to just report the facts now. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so it's that it's that pendulum swinging back and forth. So right. uh, so uh, when when Jonathan Banking comes on and says you know that he feels somewhat uh, kind of somewhat responsible in, in a small way, I've had conversations with other people who were involved in like conspiracy zines yeah. in the in the late eighties and early nineties who have expressed the same um, point of view. And in fact, uh, uh, one guy contacted me because of reading the Salon series. And he's somebody who was a prominent figure in conspiracy theory, like in the late eighties who just kind of like dropped out. And, uh, I, I'm not going to say who he is cause he specifically asked me not even to mention that he ever contacted me, but his point of view was, it was post January 6th. And he was almost in a state of like depression, like as if he was directly responsible for January 6th. I mean, that, that's, was the tone of the message that he sent me. I almost felt like I needed to, you know, talk him in off the ledge or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be going a little too far, you know, yeah. uh, because in fact, Jonathan Venkin is right. You know, I mean, I think that was the proper call at that time in the late eighties, early nineties. And there's no way that Venkin or any of these other people could have known, mm -hmm. you know, in the future that someone would swoop in and figure out how to hijack that. And, and twist it around. Uh, there's no way you could predict that. You know? Yeah. I think that is kind of a uniquely um, discordian derived view of, you know, looking at these reality tunnels, presenting them um, for critical analysis and as uh, mental exercises 
you know, that, that was really the Discordian view. And that really influenced, I think, that that 80s, 90s scene. Uh, but that seems to be pretty much gone. Well, I, I, you could say that, and this goes back to the original question of why the title Operation Mindfuck, which of course derives from Robert Anton Wilson and, and Robert Shea's Illuminatus trilogy, where um, and and Cosmic Trigger as well, uh, where Robert Anton Wilson and his Discordian friends, they actually did the first hijacking. Because <laughs> you might say that yeah. that QAnon people came in and hijacked it, you know, from the left. But actually, the first hijacking was the Discordians coming in and taking it from the John Birchers, right? Uh, because the John Birch Society was very influential, and they didn't have the internet, but they were very influential, particularly out here mm-hmm. in Orange County. Uh, and uh, they were they were spreading conspiracy theories about the communists and uh, you know fluoride in your water being a mind control tool, uh, and and all that kind of stuff. And the Illuminati, uh, and and they would accuse all the you know the people on the left of being communist Illuminati members and the right. Masons and, and all that. And then Robert Anton Wilson and his friends, Carrie Thornley, et cetera, say, oh, why don't we take that and just flip it? And we'll accuse like Henry Kissinger of being in the Illuminati. And I have to say that, however, I don't think it's entirely equal in the sense that uh, Robert Anton Wilson and his friends did something that I thought was very amusing. And that is Robert Anton Wilson using his position as the letters editor at Playboy magazine would Mm -hmm. often publish letters that they themselves had written uh, accusing themselves of being in the Illuminati. They would say, Robert Anton Wilson is a member of the Illuminati. You know, that that's a level of puckishness that is lacking uh, in the QAnon thing. You know, there's, there's a a distinct uh, lack of, of humor uh, in in the whole thing. I I think that you could argue that there's a, a certain level of satire in in QAnon, I had uh, a friend of mine was was there right for the first post. Like he was, he he was sitting there when the first Q post popped up on 4chan because he like lived his life on 4chan, <laughs> and uh, he he said how um, it was. He he said uh, he goes well you know there's there's a certain amount of metaphorical truth to the narrative in the sense that the Hollywood elite have always had kind of weird tastes. Uh, and, um, yeah. uh, and, and, and so it was easy to believe this, but also that there's a, a level of like satire to it. Um, but, but I would argue that if, if, and I think you can detect satirical elements in QAnon that it's not very successful as a satire for this reason. Um, satire, the purpose of satire is it should make the target smaller rather than larger. So, for right. example, there was a famous columnist in the 1940s who wrote a column ab- about um, when Harry Truman was running against Thomas Dewey, uh, and she described Thomas Dewey as looking like the little man on top of the wedding cake. And this was, this was something that stuck to him throughout the campaign, and it made him look ridiculous and small because, in fact, he kind of did look like that little plastic guy on the top of the wedding cake. And so it was this kind of satirical comment that was uh, commenting on the, the fact that he came across as an empty suit, in other words. And so there's a lot of historians, you know, mainstream historians, who say that, that that article and that comment had a lot to do with Truman, you know, doing that surprising win. Cause, and there's that photo, famous photo of Truman holding up a newspaper saying Dewey wins. 
um, and it was a surprise win that when when Truman won over Dewey, that's a successful satire because it reduces the target down to something smaller than he is. But QAnon takes these you know Hollywood actors and blows them up into being magicians uh, who who are Mm -hmm. demons and who are sorcerers who can actually change reality based on the movies they make (laughs) Uh, and and TV shows. Robert, have you ever gone onto like Tom Hanks's Twitter? Like for, I don't know if it's happened. It's still happening, but for a while there, it was just everything he would tweet. You'd have people just like, you're, you're a child murderer, you you know, like, I mean, and there was this, there was this guy that apparently was exposing Tom Hanks. Then he died and they were, so you need to remember this guy. And what about this guy? And it's just, I mean, it was disturbing. To say I, I, I saw this guy who was holding up some kind of crazy, like a uh, QAnon inspired placard that had like all the, you know, it's like Tom Hanks's face in the middle and then all the lines going to adrenochrome and to Lady Gaga, uh, you know, uh, right. so, like, right. some madman uh, with, with like red threads connecting all the dots, you know, and he was outside, I don't know, protesting something. And there was a reporter there from an actual, you know, it's like an actual mainstream reporter sticking the, the microphone in the guy's face. And the guy goes, so you think Tom Hanks is in? involved in in what now and then the guy's like well you know he's manufacturing uh, adrenochrome and and they, they take it and then it makes them more youthful and and the uh, sex you know child trafficking and pizza gate and blah 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 and then the the journalist goes well what can you prove that this happened and then the guy goes can you prove it didn't happen which is like, it's like logic 101. It's like the first mistake uh, sure. anyone would make in, in logic. You know, right. Can you prove right. it didn't happen? Uh, you can't prove a negative, you know, but he thought that was perfectly reasonable uh, response. Um, and, you know, and you get someone like that who's, uh, I mean, imagine that. Like, he went out of his way to go protest something and make that sign. He could have been doing a million other things. <laughs> well, you know, back to kind of like the corrosive effect type of thing. I mean, this is obviously something that has just been propelled by the internet. And I, I feel like, so I don't want to say the whole internet, but just social media, I think sure. has just made us just dumber. And oh, I mean, there's it- actual studies about this that just say that, you know, we just were dumber and we're just, and because everybody now has a platform and maybe everybody doesn't need a platform. Uh, there's a great quote from uh, Stanislaw Lem, the the science fiction writer who wrote Solaris. Uh, yeah. He passed away in 2008, uh, but there's a great quote from him that said, um, uh, "I never knew how stupid people were until I started using the internet." Um, uh, and and this is you know a very technologically driven science fiction writer you know who was probably. Um, saw technological advancement as one of the ways of leading to, you know, utopia. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and, and there's all the, you know, I, I mentioned in the book, you know, Douglas Rushkoff uh, uh, and people like this in the early 90s saying the Internet is the way around the gatekeepers. You know, right. th- this, this is the way around uh, the people who want to censor you. Um, and people who early on, it was, it was, there were studies showing that the people who were on the internet watched television way less. And so this seemed to be a sign, oh, this is the way of getting around the mind control uh, of centralized media. 
<laughs> and um, uh, and and so, in terms of what what we were talking about, in terms of like the flip and 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 these and things that were seen to be countercultural later flipping, uh, I mentioned in the book about uh, Douglas Rushkoff's interview with with Grant Morrison, uh, and Grant Morrison is a comic book writer. Uh, wrote uh, The Invisibles uh, and many other comic books. Uh, Morrison talks about uh, how um, when, he, uh, when he was doing his comic books, he used uh, uh, what he called sigil magic, uh, that, that, the, that the fictional stories he was creating uh, were uh, sigils that could actually change reality. And that was the, the intent. The intent was to use fictional stories to try to shift the timeline, as it were, so apparently, Rene and like these QAnon people, like uh, they got onto this, and they they think that everyone in Hollywood is doing this. Um, and Grant Morrison talked about how you know, like he 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 wanted uh, to change some aspect of his life, so he made a character, a fictional character that was based on him. And then when that character went through the change in the comic, it actually reflected in his own personal life. Uh, and then later on, he did a storyline where the character King Mob, I believe, was the name. King Mob comes down with this like life-threatening uh, illness, uh, and then in real life, Grant Morrison came down with this like flesh-eating disease. He ended up in the hospital and almost died. <laughs> he realized, oh, I got to be careful with this uh, sigil magic stuff. So, so the QAnon people like they think that every single Hollywood writer is 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 doing this, and so they decided to like rest this back uh, from from the enemy, and they're going to do it themselves, I guess. Um, but there's one point in that interview where Grant Morrison says to Douglas Rushkoff, Rushkoff says, you know, I always thought that it was only like the evil magicians who who could who could um, that that only only uh, you could only use this magic if you had good intentions. And then Grant Morrison replies, oh, but what about all the stories about Doctor, you know, Baron Mordor and Doctor Strange, and we, we, you know, uh, uh, we've been prepared for this, in, uh, you know, in the form of fiction. And he says, you know, I used the sigil magic in the early '90s to try to push. Uh, the boundaries, and now I almost feel like I need to do the same thing, but to pull everyone back to the middle. So it's kind of like what you were saying about you know uh, I, I was watching the uh, the first day of the January six hearings, mm-hmm. and and I, it made me think of the line in JFK in the movie where Kevin Costner goes, "Okay, we've gone down the rabbit hole, people. Uh, white is black, black is white." You know, down is up and up is down, uh, uh, because you had all these congressmen. I, I started counting how many times they used the word conspiracy, and yeah. I, I had to I had to just stop because <laughs> they used it so many times. And I thought this is fascinating. We have congressmen invoking the word conspiracy over and over again during these hearings, and then you have a quote conspiracy theorists like me writing books debunking the conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, that is definitely, but I, I think it's more along the lines of what Graham Morrison said about having to use the sigil magic now to pull everyone towards the middle is the, is the more, uh, responsible, uh, uh, mode of action at this point, as opposed to trying to push people, you know, uh, open, um, open their minds so much that, that, that their brains just fall out, which is for me, is seems to be is what happened with, with, with QAnon. We've just gotten too far to the other way. And well, when you were talking about the corrosive nature and like a, a society, how is it affecting it? Well, I mean, we started out talking about the Guidestones, 
Um, uh, And I think it's fascinating that uh, uh, Rick Rene, who, as I said, was a few years ago just a typical Christian playing sports with his kid, uh, when when he went on the air to talk about the Guidestones, he said, quote, Guys, this is to me just awesome particularly if this ends up being lightning or something natural versus a bombing, to show that God is not putting up with this. He told us he's going to take these down, and he is going to. The hail that's larger than a softball that he says he's going to take out parts of D.C. with, it's quite exciting to see what's going to be happening. This is the blessing, guys. We see these prophetic words coming true. All the different things, such as monuments falling, as an example, as we see today, the Georgia Guidestones blowing up, and then he, like, laughs maniacally. I believe the Stonehenge of Europe will be on the horizon as well. The Washington Monument, the Statue of Liberty, and many, many, many other things in the D.C. area will be destroyed. So here's a guy who was, he was going to church every Sunday, doing Bible study, playing sports, and now he's on the Blessed to Teach show telling everybody that Stonehenge in Europe needs to be destroyed, Washington Monument needs to be destroyed, because, of course, Stonehenge was built by pagans, it's satanic, needs to be destroyed. Washington Monument, built by Freemasons, satanic, needs to be destroyed. Statue of Liberty, built by the French, it's satanic, needs to be destroyed. And so uh, by the time Rick and his cohorts uh, are through with this world, uh, nothing will be left except, like, crucifixes and parking lots uh yeah, it's uh, like the, it's like the taliban you know, yeah 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 very much so and you know if he intends on wiping out everything built by a mason he's going to need more than than lightning strikes right? right uh and then you know and if a few innocent civilians get you know blown up along the way well you know i guess that's collateral damage i guess god wanted it that way you know, and and I'm sure that the people who blew up the uh, the guidestones uh, probably thought were convinced that the second they blew it up, it was going to be like the end of They Live, where where Roddy Roddy Piper shoots the uh, the antenna that that's maintaining the illusion, yeah, uh, and, and then all of reality was going to ripple, and then people were going to see the actual like reptilian faces of the overlords, you know, when the guidestones went down, and. <laughs> And I'm thinking, like, were they disappointed, confused when that didn't happen? <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, I mean, when when we find out who did it, you know, it's, the likelihood is it's going to be a guy with a lot of MAGA hats and QAnon flags in, in his trunk. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that um, it's also it's funny that the same people who were like went into near uh, fits because, you know, people were pulling down statues of southern slave owners they're now like openly cheering for the destruction of american monuments that represent freedom and democracy (laughs) yeah uh, topsy-turvy world i wanted to talk a little bit about how you're pointing out that so much of this goes back to bible prophecy and and religion but yet it has this ability to cross over to secular or, or traditionally new age types you touch on that a lot in the book as well, but how does that happen? Well, you know, I think that that part of the genius of it was that tapping into pop culture, the Matrix, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, for the Adrenochrome aspect, which, by the way, I, I think, I, you know, Adrenochrome, you know, it, it comes from, obviously, the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. There's the scene where Raul Duke and... Uh, um, Dr. Gonzo are experimenting 
with these mind-altering substances. And uh, Dr. Gonzo says, oh, I was, who's a lawyer, I was representing the Satanist freak, and he didn't have money to pay me, so he gave me this adrenochrome. And he says it's a chemical that's extracted from a still-living human body, uh, taken out of the pineal gland, and you ingest it, and it takes you higher than you've ever been before. So, uh, obviously, this, the adrenochrome thing was pulled from fear and loathing. But I think I figured out where Hunter S. Thompson got it. Uh, if you read his collected letters, adrenochrome, is, it's, it's not a recreational drug, but it is an actual chemical that forms in the brain. Uh, and if you read Brave New World Revisited by Aldous Huxley, there's it's either chapter four, five, six, or seven. I can't remember which one. There's a section in there where he talks about adrenochrome. And uh, if you read Hunter S. Thompson's collected letters, he talks about reading Brave New World. So I think it's safe to assume that he read Brave New World Revisited, which is Huxley's collection of essays that uh, he wrote years later after Brave New World, uh, talking about, well, how far has the world come uh, since I wrote this science fiction novel back in the 30s? And so, and I recommend reading Brave New World Revisited. I I started Operation Mindfuck, in fact, with an epigraph, a quote from uh, Brave New World Revisited. It's it's amazing. It's eerie uh, how much of what he wrote in 1958 applies to now. Uh, But there's a section in there where he's talking about adrenochrome, and I imagine a young Hunter S. Thompson reading it and kind of like misreading it or purposely misreading it and thinking, oh, that's a gr- that'd be a great idea to, uh, to right. use that as a, as a drug, you know? Uh, and then I think that that has slipped in the back of his head, and then it comes out when he's writing Fair and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's my theory. I can't prove it. Um, also, in terms of the, the, the kind of culture vulture aspect of this, ripping off things from, like, Richard Shaver and H.P. Lovecraft and and other past conspiracy theories and, like, weaving it all together. Um, there's a science fiction film from 1960 directed by a guy named Edward Dean. And the, the film, it's a universal film called The Leech Woman. Uh, and it's all about this uh, bunch of, you know, white Western explorers who go into Africa, and they discover this tribe. And the, with the tribe has these um, rings with little spikes on them. And during a ritualistic ceremony, they hold you down. And they, first they drug you, then they hold you down, and then they, they spike the back of your neck, and they, they extract your pineal fluid while you're still alive. Then they give it to the leech woman. She drinks it, and she'll, she's, at first she's very old, and then she turns into a young woman. <laughs> okay. See, so that sounds familiar. I might have seen that. And, 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 she, and then later on, see, it doesn't last, so you have to keep killing people. She, she goes to L.A., and she goes on a killing spree so that she can maintain her veneer of youth, just like Tom Hanks. So you've got all these things that come from fiction, and they from obviously fiction. do. Yeah. Yeah. There, in fact, there's even um, in the 1930s, there was a shadow novel by Walter Gibson, uh, the, the shadow, the pulp hero from which Batman comes. Uh, the shadow who could control men's minds, uh, become invisible, uh, hypnotize people. And he had the, 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 the cloak and the, the big uh, fedora hat, uh, the red scarf. Uh, the, the, the shadow, there's a novel called Q. Uh, and, mm. and Q is the name of, the, of a hidden chief. They actually use the phrase oh, yes. in the book, wow. hidden chief, who is, um, ha- is con- in control of this criminal network and he uses all these, he, he contacts them through, like, uh, through 
like ham radio or whatever and gives them codes. Of course. And then he'll tell them to go out and blow up things. And but that's a distraction for what for their actual criminal operation. <laughs> uh, so that was written back in like nineteen thirty five. Uh, so I think that when you say, yeah, I think that was part of the, the uh, success of creating like the secular religion of plucking all these from pop culture. I mean, the whole, um, framework of, of Q is essentially a comic book plot. It, it, it and, and I don't mean to use comic book in a, in a pejorative well, forget, sense. I wouldn't forget Q from Star Trek either. That, well, that's true. Uh, yeah. uh who was a, a puckish figure. Right. Uh, who would manipulate reality? Uh, for me, the real cue will always be cue the winged serpent with David Carradine, uh, which is about Quetzalcoatl coming back to New York uh, uh-huh. in, in the 1970s. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the movie was actually called Cue, and then the winged serpent was. The, I think I think uh, MST3K or, or Rift Tracks did <laughs> did something oh, really? about that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think they, I'll have to see that. I saw Q, Q, the Winged Serpent, in the theater with my brother. I was like way too young to see it. <laughs> I think I thought it was going to be like a Ray Harryhausen kind of fit, like the Sinbad movies, because I saw a trailer for it. And then I got there, and it starts out with these severed heads raining from the sky in New York. Uh, and I think I was like five or something. So I wasn't wasn't quite prepared for that, but uh, it's it's uh, it, 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 it is an image that is ingrained in my brain. It's a little um, more hardcore. Well, something I wanted to ask you about though, too, that you talk about science fiction, you, you start out the book talking about a Ray Bradbury story and you liken QAnon to this. Zero hour. The Zero character hour. is called Drill. Yeah, the okay. story Zero Hour from the 40s uh, uh, where the it's it's all takes place in one day and the point of view character is the mother whose name is mary i think and she has a daughter and uh the daughter comes in and says she needs a wrench or something and then the mother's like why she goes oh well me and the me and my friends were, were helping our friend drill and then she's like oh who's drill oh well he's this like invisible character who talks to us and uh, he needs us to build this machine to like draw him into into our dimension and then she's like, oh, how delightful. Uh, here's the wrench. Uh, go off and play with your imaginary friend. And so she goes off. And then Mary, the mother, is talking on the phone with her friend who lives in another state. Uh, and keep in mind, this is, in, like, this is like post-World War II, like 1948. And, and, and she says to her friend, oh, uh, Mary's has this weird imaginary game that they call Zero Hour. And they're trying to pull this character drill into our dimension uh, and the, and then her friend says, "How strange! My uh, son uh, is playing that same game." Uh, and then she said, "And and our friend in in Pennsylvania said that their uh, kid is playing a game like that too." And then Mary's like, "Oh, how weird! Uh, where are all these uh, weird code words and things coming from?" Uh, and uh, they start, you know, comparing notes about all this. And 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 of course, we learn that it actually is this ultra terrestrial invasion i suppose you could say because uh, they're inter- they're interdimensional beings uh and uh they they prey upon the gullibility of the young uh they need the, the naivete of the young to pull them in into uh into the adult world uh and i liken this to what must have happened right after the lockdown when 
mainstream journalists were like talking to people they hadn't talked to in a long time. And suddenly the people they're talking to on the phone are start throwing out like black hats, white hats, uh, adrenochrome, where we go one, we go all. And then they start comparing notes. They're like, what is this? Because <laughs> they have absolutely no idea that this is going, this, this has been going on for years on 4chan. Uh, and this is the first time it's coming up, and I think that's why you start seeing like all articles in the Atlantic and New Yorker uh, suddenly popping up like post lockdown, and right. you could see these reporters trying to struggle with it, trying to figure out what the hell is this, and trying to wrap their minds around it. And that was one of the reasons I started writing the Salon series because I was reading this stuff, and I could tell they were getting it wrong, mm-hmm. like they were getting it partly right, but then they would get certain aspects of it wrong, and then Q would would link to it. And to the article and say, you see, you're the news now. Uh, see how they're distorting the message? And in fact, they were distorting the message, but they were doing it accidentally because it just, it just was too weird for them to, to comprehend. And so I thought, you know what? Someone who actually has some sort of a background in this weird world should write about this and comment on it. I didn't really see anyone else doing that. Uh, and, and these journalists, they're perfectly equipped to write about other aspects of the phenomenon or other news stories, but for this, they just seemed ill-equipped. Right. Uh, and I, I think it's a sign of my success uh, is that Q would p- post links to every mainstream article, and Salon is, you know, I mean, it's not the Washington Post, but, you know, it's, it's highly visible. Uh, uh, he never linked to the Salon series or to the Evergreen Review article that I did, and uh, I think it's because it just got too close to the actual roots of all this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a good point too, is that um, you understand that frame because you're from a background of conspiracy theory. You make it a point to emphasize that people have a reason to be upset with how things are nowadays and to believe in conspiracies and to be anti-establishment. Um, so, you know, I think the only way you're going to get to some of these people is to like work with in that frame. Right. And also, I thought, you know, I wrote a, there's a chapter in my first book, Cryptoscatology, called Jesus is a Robot from Outer Space, um, where I talk about, um, well, they're, they're linked articles, actually. Uh, Jesus is a Robot from Outer Space, and then the one that precedes it is called uh, George W. Bush is Not a Christian. And in there, I make a comment about, how, you know, the whole article is about how George W. Bush, you know, his whole campaign, his whole persona was based on he's a Christian and, and appealing to that evangelical market, uh, target audience. And, and I, and I pointed out, you know, there's all these things that are decidedly non-Christian about his policies. Uh, and, but I said in there, you know, the people who should be talking about this are other Christians. Uh, cause you know, you're not going to listen to me. Right. Uh, like another Christian might actually uh, someone who's versed uh, in all this would be more credible. Uh, it would, it's up to them to actually talk about this. And so when I saw the QAnon thing and I realized that I didn't see anyone else from this world really commenting on it. I thought, well, maybe I should take my own advice. <laughs> you know, maybe since I, I'm actually aware of all this and where it's coming from, then maybe I should actually take the time out to explain this to other people. Uh, and maybe it would have more of an impact coming from me than coming from a mainstream journalist who works for the Washington Post. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you did a great job at it. Well, I, I thank you.
Yeah, it's an incredible book. And it's, I mean, and it's also kind of a very frightening book, too. It, and it, I think it becomes even more uh, frightening as it, as it goes on, because I knew as I was writing it, I mean, that's the other thing. It's written in real time. Uh, and the third part was written because Dale Peck, the editor of the Evergreen Review, was happy with, he had read the five-part Salon series. He asked me to write a more general article about the Trump administration. So that became Donald Trump's Operation Mindfuck, which was posted on Evergreen Review like November 1st, right before the election. And then and then that got a lot of attention. So he said, why don't you write an article about like where does Q go from here? Where does QAnon go now that Trump has lost the election? Uh, and I think he was expecting me to write like 5,000 words or something, and it, it like ballooned up into like 30,000 words. Because uh, at first I thought, now, I don't know if I want to like wallow around the QAnon mud long enough to keep writing about this. But then a second later, I thought this is a great opportunity to write about the collapse of an entire belief system. Of course, it didn't collapse, but I thought it would be interesting to to note, you know, every time they said that X was going to happen, and then you get to that date and it doesn't happen, to write down all of those, you know, <laughs> this is exactly what they said. You know, and then it got to that date, and they either had an explanation for it, or later on, they just stop explaining it. They just pretend like they never said that on March 4th, Joe Biden was going to be pulled out of the White House and Donald Trump put back in its place. It comes to March 4th, and they just don't mention it. They, like, act like they never said it. Uh, uh, that, and that Trump was going to be the, the real 18th president of the United States? Right, because we haven't had a real president since Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> because, uh, because the United States was incorporated as a corporation in 1871. Yes, yes. And, and uh, I, I, it's, it's fascinating how that kind of really ties in, feeds into that whole sovereign citizen thing, mm -hmm. uh, which, which was going around like in the early 90s, where people like Jordan Maxwell, who recently passed away, uh, was, was going around telling people, well, if you, if you mail in your birth certificate, and uh, the, you, you're no longer, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, they have to send you a check yeah. if, if you like disincorporate. But that was like a, a earlier version of this kind of role playing lifestyle tied up in these conspiracies. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I always found the sovereign citizen thing fascinating because the whole point of it was they were annoyed with how uh, they had to deal with all these bureaucratic systems that they were enslaved to and all this red tape, and why do I need to have a driver's license, and why do I need to pay taxes and all this other stuff? So they would become like almost like jailhouse lawyers. Like they would pour over yeah. all these law books, and they'd be able to quote. They'd go into like court and <laughs> quote from memory all these laws and everything. And, and it's like, how is this reducing the amount of bureaucracy and red tape in your life? Right. <laughs> it would seem to be easier just to just to pay the taxes <laughs> right. or, or to, Probably cheaper or to, as far as legal fees. Right. Well, hold on to your driver's license. Like why, how is, how is this like holding up in your house and shooting at the cops and then ending up in prison? How is this bringing more freedom to your life? Well, you can always fly the flag of Morocco if you really need to. <laughs> uh, and, and I am a free man of the land. <laughs> and, and 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 also uh when i was writing all that stuff i it kind of like it's structured like a countdown the part three and it's structured like a countdown because i knew it was counting down to something some kind of firework display but i just didn't know what exactly like i didn't know if it was january 6th or january 20th or 
but you know, obviously it was going it was leading up to this big explosive thing because I was listening to what they were saying, and Gene would go on on Rick Renee's show and say, J- just why I quote him in the book, I think it's January second. He says, when the when the tra- tanks start coming down your street, don't go for your guns. Uh, they need to, the military. Let the military do what they have to do. This is part of the plan. And I thought, okay, this is obviously like Gene doesn't have enough imagination that he's making all this stuff up. He keeps talking about how he has these spies and informants who are giving him information who he trusts implicitly. Um, and in fact, there's one fascinating point. I don't comment on it in the book, but if you read it in conjunction with Camelio, you might draw your own conclusions. He starts talking about how he knew nothing about the internet and he was out like, like hammering away, building an add on to his porch or something. And suddenly a voice, the voice of God appeared inside his head and told him to go up to the computer and exactly uh-huh. where to go to find Q's post. <laughs> and right. I thought... That's interesting in terms of what we know about, like, voice-to-skull technology. Um, but uh, so these people like Gene and like um, Kirsten Weldon, and later I heard an interview that was very well done on uh, – Steve Snyder did it on the Farm po- uh, Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he interviewed uh, the woman uh, Radix, uh, who did the Patriot Soapbox uh, website, which was one of the early – uh, proponents of Q, and she talked about how early on uh, Jerome Corsi, our right-wing uh, columnist for World Net Daily, etc., uh, a, 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 a Trump uh, advocate and supporter and friend, supposedly, uh, Jerome Corsi popped up on their on the Q the QAnon uh, subreddit. And started doing his decodes there, and then started contributing to her to the Patriot Soapbox website. And and she says in the interview, you know, at first we were excited. Oh, this guy's been on Infowars. He's a friend of Trump's. He's saying that what we're doing is is credible. And then she goes, and then slowly, like he would start hawking his PayPal uh, on on the website, and then they were. And she was saying, like her and her husband, who who you can see on the. Uh, the HBO QAnon documentary. Uh, she said he and her, she and her husband, they weren't taking any, getting any money for doing this. They, they were doing, you know, being patriots, right? And so when they mentioned this to Jerome Corsi, Jerome Corsi just replied, well, we're not socialists. We don't have to be ashamed of making money, you know. Uh, so he starts, and then she said that she, he had some sort of press conference at one point, and they were there, and they went out to dinner, uh, and Jerome Corsi said, oh, see this guy? And showed them a photo. I said, this is going to be the next uh, Israeli ambassador. And then she said, and then it turned out that that guy was appointed to that position, uh, thereby um, increasing his uh, sense of knowing what's actually going on, having this insider track. Uh, and then she said, real, she realized later on that he was that she thought he had inserted himself into the whole thing as if by direction. Like somebody had told him to go insert himself into this thing and to, and to, to take advantage of it and to amplify it, which is the exact word that she used. I wanted to doubt it because I think they did the same thing with the Tea Party stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so I think if you take her story about Jerome Corsi and multiply it with every QAnon influencer, not everyone, but the, the key major ones, 
including this guy, Gene, right, and, and Kirsten Weldon. You just need one person to, to interact with these people, convince them somehow that you're telling the truth by giving them some sort of piece of information that turns out to be true, and then that's, and then that's all you need. You know, they've, they've established their bona fides at that point. And then from then on, you're, now you're the one who is influencing everyone else. It goes back to the mind war thing. You know, you have to create that rapport so that the target uh, believes what they're saying. Because, uh, in other words, uh, Michael Aquino in there says that the psychological warfare operative has to believe what they're saying. So they, they created a situation where each of these influencers absolutely believed what they were saying. And that's worth all the gold in the world. <laughs> to have a psychological warfare operative doesn't know that they're an operative and believes everything that they're saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So everyone who's listening to them, it's what Aquino said. It's almost like an ESP level thing. They're picking up on that sincerity. Uh, and and th so they're, through their influence, they're influencing all these other people. And it was amplified and amplified, confirmation bias, magnified, amplified. And then you get to... January 6th, and that's the lead-up to it. And I think a lot of people are not aware of how it was just a series of synchronicities and coincidences that prevented January 6th from being far worse than it was. There was one security guy who, um, the, the, it was an unlocked door was separating Mike Pence and, and, and Pelosi uh, and Schumer and everyone else from this crowd. And one security guard came by and distracted them from the unlocked doors and led them away and in the meantime, Pelosi and Pence and everyone else was, you know, scampering out the back. But the, the doors were totally unlocked. You know, if they'd, if they'd rushed through, th this is why it, it seems to me that, uh, that QAnon, uh, uh, they were, and I wrote this down on January 6th in my notebook. I wrote, the QAnon architects are the equivalent of the Reich Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, which was run by Joseph Goebbels. The Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers are, are the brown shirts and the SS, respectively. Uh, and later on, I heard also a Stephen Snyder interview with James Scaminacci, who has a background in military intelligence. He described it in exactly the same way. I don't have a background in military intelligence, but, you know, I have eyes, and I was listening to all, to all these QAnon stuff leading up to the six. And as I'm watching it unfold, I'm saying to myself, these MAGA people in the QAnon crowd they're the cover for the attack. And the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers are using them as a cover. And you could tell that there are the QAnon people and the MAGA people are just wandering around in a daze, you know, rolling Pelosi's podium down the hallway, taking a piss in the potted plant in the hall. Meanwhile, these, you got the guys with the, 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 the zip ties and the camo fatigues, the cameras mounted on the chest. Those guys were going, making a beeline towards yeah. Mike Pence and Tactical. Pelosi. Yeah, the, the, clearly it was a plan to, you're going to trust up Pelosi and Pence and all these people, you know, hold them for hostage until the election is reversed, or maybe just go for martyrdom. You know, uh, Christian evangelicals love martyrs. Uh, you know, it's a suicide by a cop situation, then that makes the whole thing even more, uh, gives it more legitimacy. Uh, when that happens, uh, or just pull an Al-Qaeda Al move and say, we're just going to start, you know, assassinating people until you do what we want, um, which is ironic since these same people would claim to be, you know, to hate Al-Qaeda when they're <laughs> using the same exact techniques, right? Um, 
uh, and it's, and so I think that 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 experience that uh, Radix had with um, with Jerome Corsi, uh, you can just multiply that a uh, hundred times over, maybe more, uh, and that's and and that's how you that's how the QAnon movement was was amplified. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, this, you really uh, lay lay it out in this book for sure. I mean, with all the context and. I can't recommend it more for anyone who really wants to get to uh, as close to the bottom of this as possible. Well, Robert, where think, can people, where can people find the book? Uh, Operation Mindfuck. So it's published by Aura Books, same publisher that published Camellio. Uh, and so you can either order it through Aura Books, orabooks.com, or it's, it's available on Amazon. In fact, all my books are, are on Amazon. Uh, O-R-B-O-O-K-S.com. And what's next for you? Is Hollywood Haunts the World coming out? That is coming out soon. Nice. Uh, um, and uh, that'll be, that'll probably be my next nonfiction book. I have a, a novel. My third novel is coming out probably later this year. Uh, it's called Dead Monkey Rum. And it's all, it's all based on the, the um, strange theories of an artist named Stanislaw Sukolsky. Uh, who is a mad genius sculptor from Poland. And if you, if you go to Netflix, there's a documentary called oh, yeah. Sukolsky. Yeah, I love the, that documentary. It's great. Yeah. If, if, you, if, you, if you go to the credits and you freeze frame it, you'll see that I'm given a thank you credit at the end of that documentary. Oh, really? Um, nice. they actually, I was actually in the original cut, but I got, I got cut out like the 18th edit. So, so the uh, uh, so the Dead Monkey Rum is a fictional novel, but it's based on Sokolsky's bizarre theories, uh, uh, which which kind of like a cryptozoological fantasy about uh, the evolution of mankind. He believed that all the fascist dictators that we had to deal with in the 20th century were uh, descended uh, from the fact that Yetis were raping human women. And then having half Yeti, half human progeny, uh, which later then went on to become the dictators of the 20th, 20th century. Um, I think this is a wonderful metaphor. Uh, and, and so uh, Dead Monkey Rum is a kind of a cryptozoological fantasy uh, uh, that's uh, centered around that idea. Sokolsky is referenced throughout the book. And the book, we already have blurbs, enthusiastic blurbs from Robert Williams, the painter, Robert Williams, uh, Jim Woodring, also a painter, both of whom knew Sokolsky, um, uh, Eric Dobrowski, who directed Struggle, gave me a blurb for it, and also the inimitable uh, Lauren Coleman, the cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, gave me a great blurb for it as well. So you rarely see books with those four people uh, having blurbs on the back, but nice. this one does. Sokolsky... Awesome. He, I mean, he flirted with fascism in his younger years, though. Didn't yes, he, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Uh, and then, and then later on, when he moves to America, he develops an almost like weird universalist mythos that's not dissimilar from like Joseph Campbell, mm -hmm. uh, where Joseph Campbell was trying to find the links amongst various mythologies, and that they were essentially the same mythology, uh, the same like Manly P. Hall as well. Um, and so uh, I think, yes, he definitely had fascist views in Poland in pre-World War II. And then uh, I think 
um, having communicated with uh, people who, who were friends with him, uh, I think he um, put those views aside him uh, by the time uh, that he wrote Behold the Proton, which is one of the great titles of all time. Yes. Uh, Behold, three exclamation points, the Proton. What was his uh, philosophy called? Zermatism. Zermatism, yeah. Zermatism. And, and it, all, it all revolves around Easter Island. Uh, and in fact, his, his ashes were buried on Easter Island by Robert Williams and his wife, Jim Woodring, and his wife, uh, Glenn Bray, uh, and uh, various other people. Uh, and um, uh, the, in fact, the conclusion of the novel takes place on Easter Island. And, oh, and, nice. and the, the novel revolves around um, uh, various groups are trying to get a hold of the urn, uh, the ornamental urn that contains Sokolsky's ashes. And there's various groups who want it for various for nefarious purposes. Speaking about blurbs and back of books, you got Alan Moore to give you a blurb for, for Operation Mindfuck. That was impressive, I think. Uh, particularly since he doesn't really give a lot of blurbs these days. Um, and uh, uh, he also gave me a blurb for my previous book, Bell Lugosi's Dead, uh, the novel. And so um, he had read the Salon series. I knew he had read the Salon series, and I knew he had read the Evergreen Review articles and um, complimented me on them, um, And uh, which... Uh, you know, I, I, we, we started this out by, I said that the, the first Swamp Thing uh, comic book I ever bought was, you know, uh, the, the one about the Winchester Mansion. Uh, 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 so uh, this, was, this was very impressive to me. Uh, uh, and so knowing he had read the serialized versions of it, uh, I asked, uh, would you mind writing a blurb for, for the book since the book is an updated and revised version of this? And, in other words, he'd already read most of it. Uh, I wrote a new introduction and I and I updated the um, the four part series I did for Evergreen Review, and takes it all the way up to I think August of 2021. It would have been good if I could have taken it all the way to November, uh, because that would have been exactly a year, and I would have ended on the um, the, the QAnon people meeting at, at Daily Plaza, mm, uh, waiting yeah. for JFK yeah. Jr. <laughs> right. You know, but there was a certain point where there was a deadline, and I just had to. We, we we wanted it out, you know, before like the midterm elections. So well, you know. Hey, it, yeah. JFK Jr. showed up. Even though he... <laughs> oh, right. uh, I, that... by, by the way, there's something amusing there, which is a whole article about how there were the old style, like JFK conspiracy theorists who were meeting at Daily Plaza that day, butting heads with the QAnon people. Uh, and you know, oh it was like, Hey, you, got, you know, you got peanut butter in my chocolate. Hey, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. You know, you, you got QAnon in my JFK assassination. Uh, and, uh, there were like arguments breaking out. Oh man. Well, uh, Robert, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for hanging out with us tonight and talk about this wonderful book. Um, stay on the line for us though. We just want to remind everybody fourth annual strange realities conference is coming up here, October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville. And we've got some really great speakers for you guys this year. 
and uh, tickets, strangerealitiesconference.com, $70 for in person and $30 if you want to just watch the stream. But uh, we'd love it if you guys could come join us in Nashville. And if and, you're procrastinating and purchasing the tickets, that's okay. But make sure you start uh, arranging for your lodgings uh, yeah. to make sure you have a place to stay. Yep, absolutely. All right. And also, Sophia can tell you where you can find our Patreon, where we've got a lot of great stuff. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, where you too can become a conspiranormalist a member of the mystic crew of Conspiranormal or one of those elite members of the ancient circle of strange realities that is at patreon.com slash Conspiranormal. All right, guys. I want to thank Robert Guffey for hanging out with us tonight, but uh, we're getting really close to the conference. So guys, uh, would you get your tickets pretty soon? And we'll, we'll talk to you next time on Conspiranormal. This September, join Jordan Feliz and special guest Jonathan Trailer on the Jesus is Coming Back Tour, heading to your city. So keep your head up. Join Jordan and Jonathan in Spokane, Washington at Calvary Spokane on Thursday, September 8th. That's Spokane, Washington on September 8th. The Jesus is Coming Back Tour, live in your city this fall. More information at transparentproductions.com.